If you have a Bible with you, uh, open to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans 8, the beginning part of that, or the same text is printed there in your bulletin. You can follow along. Um, I mentioned earlier, if you're interested in uh, the new membership class, jot your name down on the, the legal pad that's in the back, and I'll make preparations for you for that. We're starting today a new series that will go through the winter at least to Easter, um, on the Ten Commandments. And so I'm going to spend the winter trying to persuade you to love and keep the Ten Commandments. Um, But today I want to give kind of the counter-argument and urge you not to trust in the Ten Commandments or the law uh, to kind of set a context for us thinking about what God's law is. And the point of this today is that the law can't change anybody. As good as it is, as useful as it is, it can't change you. Um, And the Christian hope is not that we have excellent advice from God and His law. The Christian hope is that we have good news from God in His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we confuse that, we warp and twist the faith a good bit and really misunderstand what God's interests are in our lives and what the Christian message is. Jesus can change anybody through His mercy in their lives. But the law can't change anyone at all. No matter how hard you try to keep it, no matter what a good law you pick to try to follow. It doesn't have the power to change people. And that includes not only God's law, but also uh, the rules that we have for our lives otherwise. Uh, Trying to fix what's broken in us by following good advice assiduously is a loser's game. And we have more to hope for than that in the Christian message. So tonight is about abandoning trust in the law. And then we'll start talking in the coming weeks, Lord willing, about uh, how beautiful the law is and what hope we have uh, in God's work in our lives. Real change is possible for people like us. But tonight, abandoning trust in the law. And that's why I picked the passage in Romans 8. I'm not going to say everything about the passage in Romans 8. It's very rich. Uh, But what it talks about is that the law does not have the power to change us. And so that's what we're going to think about together. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read the Scripture. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would uh, understand and know you. We pray that you would open our hearts to you as well, and speak to us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of years ago, Domino's uh, Pizza put out a voice-activated phone app called Dom. And uh, you could use it to more easily order a pizza, uh, which, you know, as problems in the world that needed to be solved go, wasn't a big one. But uh, you could ask the Dom app for what you needed. But they had a funny commercial about it, you know, that it would order you a pizza, but it really wouldn't do much else for you. Yeah, so at the beach, there's a guy standing there, he says, Dom, cancel my morning meetings. And uh, that comes back and says, 
how about a pizza? Right? And then at the campfire, it says, Dom, where is Orion's belt? And Axe says, it's uh, light years from pizza. And then it says, in a bar fight, Dom, how do I do karate? It says, I don't know, but I can get you a pizza. All right? So if you need a pizza, the Dom map is excellent. But it can't do much else for you. Right? It can just get you a pizza. So the question for tonight is, what can the law do for you? What can the law do for you? And again, I mean, I mean mainly the Ten Commandments because we're going to talk about that. The Bible's ethics, which are summarized in the Ten Commandments. But really more broadly than that, it's also true. What can the law do for you? You know, a school policy manual or uh, life hacks in a TED Talk that you listen to or New Year's resolutions that you seek to make or the Constitution of the United States of America. Laws. What can law do for you? Biblically speaking. And um, the answer is not that much, really. It can't do that much for you. In this passage, Paul says that the law was powerless to do what we needed done for us. It's powerless to fix what is wrong with us. We don't need just advice to tweak our lives so that we can really flourish and thrive. We're broken uh, more deeply than good advice can ever touch. And so we need more help than just good advice. The law can't fix you. It can't make you good. The law can't make your kids good. The law can't make your nation good. Right? There's not a law that has the power to do that. And certainly the law cannot increase or change your favor with God. It cannot change your standing with Him. Your good behavior and strong application of self-discipline and will in the new year I cannot move you an iota closer to God. The law just doesn't have the power to do that. So because the law is powerless to change us, we have to abandon our trust in it. Abandon our trust in it. doesn't mean the law is bad. It just means we can't trust it. Now, let me speak briefly and then for you know several months about what the law can do for you. Because biblically speaking, we're given the law for, for the theologians say three uses. One is the uh, political use of the law, and that is that the law sort of restrains us from doing what we might otherwise do because of the threat of punishment. Right? Um, there are things that we might do if we weren't threatened by the laws of the civil magistrate uh, that we'll get in trouble if we do them. Right? So we um, comply with the laws out of fear. And that sort of works with God, too. Knowing God's law makes us a little bit reticent to be as bad as we might otherwise be because we worry that he might see and care and judge. All right? So the law can do that for us. It restrains us a little bit. It puts some fences up in our lives that way. Um, but Christians don't make much of this use of the law because it doesn't change much that needs to be changed. And it has kind of a flip side, too, because the, the law, Paul says, who's writing here, uh, not only restrains sin, but it stirs up sin. It's like just having the laws is like a provocation to you to break the laws. It's kind of the appeal of the illicit in your life. Uh, things are more desirable when they're off limits. A cookie jar that a kid is told he can't reach into becomes compellingly interesting, right? 
a keep off the grass sign makes you think about walking on the grass when you weren't even contemplating it before. There's a provocation in the law uh, that makes the restraining use of the law even uh, less helpful for us. It's just not a big deal for Christians thinking about the law, that first use of it. Second use is the prophetic use of the law, and that's more the diagnostic use. You read the law and you realize, wait a minute, I thought I was a good person, but according to God's law, I'm not at all, and I'm real trouble spiritually uh, because of what God requires of me compared to what I actually am. And so the law this way prophetically shows us that we're in trouble and we need a Savior like Jesus. It's not not an aspirational thing. I see the law and I think, wow, I'm going to try hard to be the best me I can be. You look at the law and you say, oh no, what help is there for somebody like me? And so that's the second use of the law. We talk about that a lot because the law shows us our need for Jesus. And then the third use of the law is for uh, Christian believers who have come into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. For them, there's the teaching use of the law where we find in the law a description of what it means to love God, uh, what it means to live with true humanness and beauty in our lives uh, by... uh, seeing what's described in the law and seeing with God's help that we are increasingly becoming that. Right? This is the part of the law where you get all this flowery talk in the Old Testament about how much people love the law. You know, the law is a bit like sweeter to me than honey. It's more precious to me than silver and gold, which isn't hyperbolic speech. It's uh, the notion of what true human beauty is and a real deep love for that. The person we've seen, the one person we've seen keep God's law uh, throughout an entire human life is the most beautiful human life we've ever observed, Jesus' life. And so for Christians, the law functions to teach us, to train us, what does it mean to love God? What does he delight in? What does it mean to love other people? What does it mean to be truly human? And so there's beauty in that, and we'll talk about that as we go through the Ten Commandments. But what the law can't do is change your heart. And... Um, Jesus taught us that it's out of the heart that flow the issues of life. All of our moral problems come from the inside and then find outward expression. And uh, the law can't do a thing to touch your heart or to change you in the ways that you need to be changed. The righteous requirement of the law, as Paul describes it here, that you love God with your entire being uh, every second and that you love your neighbor around you as much as you love yourself at every second is the requirement of God's law. And you can't do that, and the law can't give you the power to do that. Law, make me loving. Make me love my neighbor more, law. Make me love Jesus more, law. And the law says, basically, I can get you a pizza, right? You know, Uh, the law can't do that for you. It's just not what it's made for. It's like if you went and got an MRI and they found a tumor in your head, and the doctor said, okay, I'm going to put you on a strict regimen of three MRIs a day until that tumor is gone. After a while, you'd say, well, this MRI machine must be defective because the tumor's still there, right? Well, no, that's not what MRI machines are. It's not what they do. It's not what they're for. And when we look to the law to try to change us, uh, it's like looking to an MRI machine to try to heal us. That's not what the law does. It's not what it's for. The law is not bad. This is, it's just powerless. And it's powerless. It says in verse 3, he says um, that uh, the law weakened 
by the flesh could not do. What the law weakened by the flesh, and by the flesh that means um, our own bias and bent towards rebellion and independence uh, in our life with God. That is, we're broken in a way, and that's Paul uses the term flesh to describe our brokenness. Um, we're broken in a way that, that good advice can't fix. Our needs run deeper than that. So the law can't make you a Christian. The law can't make you good. And in most important senses, the law can't even make you better. It can't even make you better by itself. But these things, he says, God has done. In verse 3, God has done what the law could not do by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, has kept the law for us in his life. And then he met the righteous requirement of the law in his death that uh, there's punishment that comes to, to those who break God's law. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. And then he rose again on the third day to new life and said, I'm going to give you a new life too when you come to know me. And so the righteous requirement of the law is met by Jesus, uh, not by our performance. So what we have in the Christian life is not... Uh, Advice about how we can uh, become good for God, but rather news about what God has done for us. Right? The Christian hope is news about what God has done for us. We're not condemned anymore, he says in verse 1. Our sins are taken away because of what Jesus has done. We have now, he says in verse 4, we don't walk according to the flesh and our own strength and effort, but according to the Holy Spirit. That is God's supernatural influence in our lives to create change in us. Uh, it's not something that comes from our own strength or ability to follow advice. It's supernatural. So, good news, not good advice is what we've been given. The problem is, all, most people in what they say outwardly, but almost all of us in what we think inwardly, uh, get this backwards. We turn the Christian good news into good advice. And we assume that that's what Christianity is, is, is advice about how to be good and how to get God to like you by being good. That that's what it's really about. And when you do that, you warp the Christian faith. And actually, you turn it toxic. Uh, because that's not what the faith is. If you turn Christianity from good news into good advice, you get certain pathologies that come into the, to the life of the church and the Christian. I'll, I'll mention a couple of these. It's certainly not exhaustive. Uh, first, uh, when you look at the Christian faith as good advice, you'll water down God's law. Because his law is too hard for you to keep on its surface. So what you'll want to do is to come up with another list of laws that are keepable laws. Things that you actually can do. I may not be able to live without envying my neighbor, but I cannot read a Harry Potter book if that's the law. I can wear a one-piece bathing suit. Actually, I almost always wear one-piece bathing suits. The, uh, I cannot smoke. I can try to be nice. Uh, I mean, those are things I could do. Right? But... You know, I can't care about my neighbor's reputation more than I care about my own reputation. I'm not capable of doing that. So you, you tend to make new laws, something I can do. And usually you make little tiny scruples and ignore huge moral issues in your life when you do that. Philip Yancey uh, writes well about these subjects, and he was talking about his boarding school in South Africa. He said the rules were pretty clear in the boarding school. He says, you certainly didn't ever chew gum. Woe be unto you if you prayed with your hands in your pocket and don't even think about wearing blue jeans, right? These are important rules from the school. He says, but they vigorously defended the apartheid regime, right? But they weren't chewing gum. 
because it's a lot easier to not chew gum than it is to root out racial prejudice from your heart. So making new laws uh, tends to be a result of turning Christianity into good advice. Multiplying laws is another result of turning Christianity into good advice. Um, If laws can fix you, if laws can make you safe, if laws can make you good, then the more the better. The stricter we are, the safer we are. Now, the more control we have in our life through legislation. Uh, I know a lot of you are in education, and you probably feel the temptation of this more than anything because crowd control is such an important part of your life with little kids. Like, um, you know, you think, I've got to have the rules to help me. Right? They're the only thing that keep me safe and give order to my life. And Christians do this naturally, it seems like. And if you think you live in a time of moral decline, you're, you're going to double down on making laws, uh, more and stricter laws. It's odd that we're the first Christians ever, to ever live who feel like we're in a period of moral decline. Did you know that? So... Uh, <laughs> give an example of this is uh, Dick Kyes showed me this it's a from a tract on the evils of drink it must be evident to everyone that the practice must render the frame feeble and unfit to encounter hard labor or severe weather hence succeeds a softness and effeminacy a seeking for the fireside a lurking in the bed and all the characteristics of idleness Drinking fills the public house and makes the frequenting of it habitual. Corrupts boys as soon as they're able to move from home. Does little less for the girls to whom the gossip of the drinking place is no bad preparatory school for the brothel. At the very least, it teaches them idleness. And this was in a tract talking about the evils of drinking tea. (laughs) And recommending the uh, meritorious moral... Uh, help that comes from drinking homebrewed beer. <laughs> so, multiplying laws to make us good, to make us safe. Um, Fifteen rules for modesty at the school social. Right, the number may go up because you just got to legislate it until it's there are no loopholes anywhere, but there are always loopholes. Um, What is and isn't acceptable to say uh, in speech these days, right? What will or won't get me in terrible trouble if I say it on social media? Where are the boundary lines? Where are the rules? If the rules will make us safe, if the rules will make us tolerant, if the rules will make us loving, then bring them on, the more the better. Other danger, if you turn Christianity into good advice instead of good news, is it uh, politicizes you. Because um, you start to believe that the law can do more than it can do. The law can make my nation good. The law can make our citizens good. Can reclaim a former moral glory that we supposedly have once had at some point. Uh, Can stop people from being abusive if we have the proper laws in place. It can avert God's judgment from us as a nation if if we get the right laws in place. If you've been around Christians long, you've heard us talk this way, right? Uh, We could, through the law, get God to love us more and treat us better. And uh, Christians who know their theology fairly well will say things as asinine as that. It will stop our moral decline. And we say, law, do this for me. Make my nation great. And the law says, 
I can get you a pizza, right? Because the law doesn't have the power to change people politically any more than it does in church. Philip Yancey again. Laws can shut down stores and theaters on Sunday, but they can't compel worship. Laws can arrest and punish KK murderers, KKK murderers, but cannot cure the ha- their hatred, much less teach them to love. You can pass laws making divorce more difficult, but you can't force husbands to love their wives. You can, through the law, subsidize the poor, but you cannot force the rich to show them compassion. You can ban adultery, but not lust, theft, but not covetousness, cheating, but not pride. The law can encourage virtue, but not holiness. So what I'm saying, in case you're missing the point, is you have good news from Jesus. Don't settle for good advice. Don't turn Jesus' good news into good advice. If you do, the last result of this, you'll probably use terrible motivations in the way you deal with other people. You'll use guilt manipulation. You'll use shaming, um, appeals to pride and bribes and other effective parenting methods. It's what we do with our children, right? We guilt them, we shame them, we bribe them, we threaten them, we appeal to their pride to try to get them to be good and not embarrass us. So if the law can't change you and can't change your kids, it can't make your kids good, then as a Christian, parenting becomes a different equation, right? You're parenting on the basis of the good news of what Jesus has done for them, not telling them that Jesus loves good little boys and girls to try to make them be better. Because you know that won't work. The law doesn't have the power to change your children or to rescue them. It will never meet the righteous requirement of the law in their lives. So when we have kids' programs, Lord willing, fairly soon, um, we're not going to use merit badges, right? to teach kids how to love Jesus. Because that's a hard message to try to sort out for a kid, right? I'm getting, I get prizes if I invite my friends and pray. Um, that can mess you up for life. We're not going to list uh, platinum-level givers on the plaque at the church, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm Lord willing, and um, God protect me, but I'm not going to stand up here and say to you, Do you really want to be the kind of people that only do the minimum and manipulate you with shame and guilt? Um, Because we have something better to want and better to rely on than shame and guilt. But it's just a universal misconception of Christianity is that it's good advice. Bart Simpson was in trouble one day at church at a school and he was getting yelled at. The teacher, kind of a peanuts voice, because he had quit listening. Bart, you're not even listening to me. What did I just say? And he says, uh, straighten up and fly right? <laughs> well, that was a lucky guess, right? <laughs> and I feel that teacher's living my life. I feel like I talk all the time. Good news, good news, good news, good news. What did I just say? People think, uh, I, straighten up and fly right. I guess it's what you said. Isn't that what ministers say? Isn't, isn't that... What Christianity is about, and of course it's not. It's not good news. It's not uh, good advice. It's good news, and uh, we're going to cling to that. And as we talk about the law in the next months, we're going to cling to that. As we hopefully learn to love the law, uh, to understand it uh, more than we have now, to be challenged by it more than we are now, uh, we won't be tempted to trust in it. 
because we're never meant to trust in the law. We trust in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because he can change anybody. The law can't change anybody. It can get you a pizza. Right? Well, let's pray.